1: El gol del
2: Arsenal of Marca Mesuto Phil. Bellerin, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal gol. Marca el
1: futbolista español. Marca Nacho Monreal. Pim pam pum.
2: This is Arscast
1: Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from
2: Gunner Blog. James, good evening to you. Goodly evening to you too. How are you doing?
1: I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't say that I'm filled with excitement after what we saw tonight, but it was a case of
2: job done. We're through yes. to the round of 16. Another step along the road. And I suppose, I mean, after what happened last week, uh, just a relief to put that team to bed, which, you know, we really ought to have done. Uh, seven days ago, but we yeah put things some measure towards right tonight
1: we did they're very bad, aren't they
2: like they're very bad yeah they're then they're, they're not good, they are not playing foot yeah, okay we'll <laughs> we'll go with your word, <laughs> and yes. they're not playing football regularly at the moment, which I think probably doesn't help um hey, they still had some chances against us, they did one off the line, holy moly. I oh know that would have been a big
1: moment. It would have been, wouldn't it? Because we just scored, and it was like, okay, well, this is all right. Then they went up the other end and and had a guy booted in into the the side netting when he probably should have shot across goal. And then there was the the one cleared off the line within a couple of minutes of that. I'm beginning to wonder: is this like some default setting? You know, if Arsenal were a computer program, would you say that this is a bug? You know, that every time we score, yeah. we seem to allow the opposition a chance to, to get one back almost straight away.
2: If it was happening on FIFA, people would be crying that it was, you know, built into the game mechanic, wouldn't yeah. they be saying? It's not there. <laughs> every time I score, you know, the computer comes right back. I, yes, it is a, well, a really worrying trait because it's one of those things that you think, is that just concentration? Um, and, and you'd like to think that could be ironed out, but, you know, it's been years. We're, we've grown accustomed to it. Um, but yeah, they're very Europa League Bate Borisov, and I'd say it was a very Europa League evening, mm. if you know what I mean. You know, Thursday night, uh, yeah. six PM.
1: Let me not- ask you, what was it like inside the stadium? Because as after the third goal went in, um, and the game was pretty much done, there was you know not much happening in terms of exciting football action. Mm. It was like that. It was it reminded me of that bit, you know, in The Simpsons, where they uh, play football and it's just the two guys passing it back to each other in the centre circle. It, it felt a bit like that in terms of, you know, what was going on. But it was almost noticeable. Well, not almost noticeable. It was very noticeable on the TV just how quiet it was in the stadium. Now, I know... Sometimes that can be misleading because uh the the t v director and the t v cameras can well the microphones you know they can they can manipulate the sound if they want and make it sound quieter than it is, but was it that
2: quiet It was pretty quiet and I think I didn't actually quite catch it, but there was an announcement about 15 minutes from the end, something to do with a tube station being closed. It might have been Holloway Road. And I think quite a lot of people, to be honest, with the tie essentially put to bed and hearing there was a bit of transport trouble, thought, "Ah, I might get out of here. And, you know, visibly people were leaving the ground from about the 75th minute. Mm. I I can't massively blame them because it wasn't like you know we put them to the sword and we were going chasing more goals it was kind of one of those where they were sitting pretty deep they seemed pretty content to have taken a 3-0 a defeat and, and that be that and we were quite content with it too and just sort of playing out the remainder of the game but it was a, a strange atmosphere from the very top really I mean I, I think the early kickoff didn't help in that regard mm. and I actually missed the opening goal because one of the consequences of people coming straight from work is that so many people turned up with bags to the stadium myself included so yeah. the the searches to actually get into the ground took took much longer but when the goal went in i was literally stood outside in the queue it was such a sort of muted cheer that i half wondered if Barte had scored <laughs> uh, do you know what i mean it was such like a Ey! sort of thing it was it was a kind of the whole evening was uh, a little bit underpowered, I would say, certainly on the crowd front. It's interesting that Unai Emery talked in his preference, press conference, didn't he, about the fans are going to be mm. really important. But it almost felt there was a bit of an arms folded attitude from the fans of, you know, we all saw what happened last week. It's on you guys now to yeah. put right.
1: Look, I mean, however way you want to dress it up, playing Bate Borisov on a Thursday night is underwhelming. Sure. On every level. I don't, know how any, yeah, I don't know how anybody could be even
2: slightly whelmed by it. Um, I it, can confirm they were selling half-and-half half scarves for any Arsenal fans who did want to commemorate the occasion.
1: Surely those are for the, the visiting fans, though, right? That, who knows? That's, that's who they've got to be for. You know, if they made the trip from Belarus and they come over and they get the little half and half scarf. You there know, I don't, many of them. no, I there can't. Weren't there many. weren't, there weren't, uh, you know, the, we could go on a thing about the, the whole half and half scarf culture and what have you. You know, if you've got a half Tottenham, half Arsenal scar- scarf, that's an absolute abomination, of course. Um, you know, there's perhaps, uh some tourist value in it for for visiting fans for games like this but sure. you know i i just don't know how up anybody can get about a game against bate borisov i mean let's be fair at the same time if we hadn't won the game against bate borisov we could we could find ourselves getting quite agitated indeed but i think that's because the reality of it is that we should beat this team every time we play them, and last week was an aberration. It was uh, a blot on the copybook, whatever way you want to put it, but it was really, really unexpected. Mm. So when you go through the motions and you do what we did tonight, it's like, uh, okay, well done.
2: Yeah, I mean, I tell you one man in the stadium who was significantly more animated and more up for it than any fan that I saw, and that was Unai Emery on the touchline. Mm. And I do wonder if that speaks to how important a uh, fixture this was for him. Because ultimately, I think we all know he's been brought in with the job of restoring Arsenal to the Champions League. And this was the first match, really, that, in which that aim has been on the line. You know, it's kind yeah. of, he's got two routes into it through the top four. And the Europa League, and I guess in the Premier League, you know, every game counts so towards the top four. But if you if you lose one week, you've always got the next week to come. But as far as the Europa League is concerned and, and that route to qualification, it was on the line tonight. And mm-hmm. I think he probably recognised that that fact and also the fact that, you know, uh, people haven't been particularly happy with performances and results in the, yeah. in the last few weeks.
1: And he maybe as well, he needs to get his team going in mm-hmm. some way, whatever way that might be, but he's got to get it going because we've got a big game on Sunday, then we've got a game against Bournemouth, then two big, big games. So, you know, some kind of momentum is is important. So I think if that message is being transmitted from the sideline, even if it looks a little bit out of place when you're playing a team as bad as Bate Borisov, you know, maybe there's some method to that particular madness there. So uh, the team selection... Mesut Ozil,
2: he's back. He's back. He's back. And I, I was a little bit surprised actually, just because the strength of Unai Emery's comments uh, about Ozil and his uh, how many games he's missed through illness and injury, and how much training he's missed. Particularly, I thought you know he might start this game on the bench potentially, but you know I can see the logic of bringing him back in. And I, you know, a lot of people have been calling for Unai to do something different. And he did do that. He went to the back four. He had the three attacking midfielders behind the striker. So I guess, almost by necessity, it was a little bit more adventurous. Yeah, I think it
1: was just a no-lose situation for Emery. Mm. If he, you know, bringing Ozil back in, because if he plays well... Then the team is going to be better if Ozel is in it and he plays well. If he doesn't play well, then it's you know another <laughs> another nail in the coffin kind of you know. So yeah. I I don't, I don't think Emery had anything to lose. I don't, I don't I'm not saying that's why he picked him, but uh, certainly it wasn't going to be uh, a decision that backfired on him in any yeah. way.
2: So and also this is the kind of game he has been picking ozel for. You know, if you think back to the home mm. match against Cardiff, say, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, which I think was our last home game, by the way. It's been quite a while, almost what, more over three weeks, I think, since we mm. last played at the Emirates Stadium. But um, yes, I think you know he has been picking him against teams that he knows are going to sit deep, that he knows are going to defend in numbers, and particularly at home rather than away. So I guess it shouldn't have been too much of a surprise. I did think there were some interesting things about that lineup. One is that the introduction of Ozil and having another attacking midfielder in there made me wonder, you know, how much of not playing another attacking midfielder has been about the fact that he's generally been playing with two strikers. uh, And he's been robbed of that opportunity tonight. And then, you know, so it's not like he sort of threw an extra attacking player in necessarily. He just kind of uh, sort of shifted them around a bit without another centre-forward. And the other other thing I thought that was interesting was even against Barce Borisov, I wonder what you think. Do you think he was resting uh, the likes of Kolasinac? Or do you think he still th- thinks I'm just not sure about him in a in a four?
1: Uh, it's a good question. I'm not sure. I mean, I can understand why he would be wary of playing him in a back four. Mm. I, I would say that if you were wary and you wanted a good look at him, uh, you know, playing him in a team or playing him against a team like Bate would have been again, no lose really because they weren't really going to threaten that much anyway. Uh, I, I yeah. would imagine he just thinks that Monreal is better in a in a back four um, and maybe wants to use him and get him some minutes ahead of the weekend if we're going to stick with a back four at yeah. the weekend. I think that's an interesting point about uh, you know, the the fact that uh, Ozil is in the team because perhaps we don't have uh, Lacazette and he was absent through suspension. So that could have played a part in that as well. What I thought was interesting was that the the two wider players, Iwobi and Mkhitaryan, I think Mkhitaryan faded a bit in the second half, but I thought Iwobi was really bright all night, very positive. Mm-hmm. And I think he's better when he's got somebody further forward to connect with in, in midfield... So rather than picking the ball up and looking for the overlap of Kalasinach or, or Monreal or whoever it was, you know, Ozil will drift out to that side and give him a pass and give him somebody uh, to combine with, say, Mikitarian. You know, Ozil drifted across. I'm sure if you looked at his heat map, it's probably uh, fairly even on both sides. I should do that while we're talking. But, you know, I think it brings out more from both Ozil and Mikitarian because, you know, uh, they're, they're there. And rather than just trying to find one striker, They've got another option uh, which helps us um, control the game a bit more in the final third, which is not something we've been able to do. And, you know, you think about the game against Huddersfield, for example, where we had terrible problems controlling... Possession for any sustained period, and you know Huddersfield are not a great team at all. So yeah. uh, you know, I think Ozil gives us that and gives us that bit more control, particularly at home and particularly against the team that we should we should uh, we should dominate anyway.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, the the freedom that he has spatially is really important. There were times where, as you say, he'd drop out to the left to combine with the Wobi, to the right to combine with uh, Mkhitaryan. And I think that was necessary because with Lichsteiner and Monreal, we didn't have full-backs or wing-backs bombing on and supporting those players quite as often as mm. we would normally do. But he also was dropping deep at times. You know, there were periods where, you know, he was almost back combining with Shaka and Gunduzi. And I actually thought Gunduzi and Ozil showed a, a little bit of promising understanding yes, too. But yeah. It, which is a really good sign. And, you know, because Aaron Ramsey and Ozil had a great understanding, but obviously that's, uh, we see that l- less and less on the pitch these days, but Gunduzi showed some good combinations there. But I thought Iwobi, you're right to pick him out. He he really benefited from having Ozil there. Uh, they helped each other on the pitch. And what you have to say about Iwobi is, for all the, the... What's the word? Um, the, for the erratic nature of his end product at times, every time he picks the ball up, the tempo seems to quicken yes. for Arsenal. He yeah. looks to make things happen. He drives at people. And with that comes a certain degree of risk and it doesn't always end you know, as you would like. But you can't knock the manner in which he... Time after time, just looks to drive forward and, and give the defense a problem.
1: Yeah, I think that's true, and I think you're right to point out the connection between Gendouzi and an Ozil as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ozil's heat map—he is predominantly to the to the left. So combining more with Iwobi, I haven't got the uh, the app in front of me to check the past combinations, but you know, it does give Iwobi somebody else to play with. Um, I mean, I don't know that we really got a great deal of service to to our striker on the night, but just in terms of how we were able to play the game in their half and uh, I don't know how many attempts on goal we had. 20-odd, 20 22 attempts on goal, something like that. Uh,
2: uh, I'll just tell
1: 22 a a attempts on goal to their four. Sure. Um, I don't know what the, the XG is or anything like that, but look at the pass success for the night is 87%. You know, we... Um, had 11 corners. Well, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Unai Emery, since mm-hmm. he took over, has implemented a system in which we take short corners far more regularly than we have ever done. Very often they're crap and come mm-hmm. to absolutely nothing. And we end up kicking the ball back into our own half and, and uh, I, I sit there with my head in my hands when that happens because it drives me fucking mental. Um, the two goals we got following the own goal were both from corners, swung into the box, good deliveries into the box, good headers, uh, attacking headers from two centre-halves, and we scored two goals. Hmm. Do you think he's looking at that? Is he, do you think he's got a dossier on that?
2: Uh, I should hope so, because, uh, you know, I think in Shaka and Torreira, I know Torreira didn't start to today, but we've got players who can deliver decent balls. I, I wonder, I feel like when we actually do go direct from corners, we're pretty dangerous. Uh, you know, we've got players in there who can cause problems. I mean, Koscielny is one. Mustafi is another, actually, you know, all through his time mm. with us. I think he's he's been a threat. We saw Sokratis as well on the score sheet today. So, yeah, I, I'm not sure... I feel like the short routines that we operate almost never work. Um, we have scored sixteen goals from set pieces this season, really? which is the, se- the second highest, apparently, in the Premier League.
1: Bolton, Bolton, uh, Bolton, Bolton. Can Bolton, that possibly be Bol- right? That seems like a lot, doesn't it? Doesn't it?
2: I'm on who scored, guys. I'm looking at 2014-15.
1: <laughs> it's I good we have, checked. I have, I have to retract my Bolton Bolton chant then. That's yeah.
2: No, well, I'm trying to dig that set out, but it's uh, difficult to turn up right now. Team statistics, here we go. I'm absolutely determined to find it, to find out, because I feel like generally we are pretty uh, dangerous when we actually bother with it. Here we go, set-piece goals. 10, 10 this season. Uh, which is the fifth most in the league, so that's actually not particularly.
1: Who who have uh, scored more in the league? Manchester United, right? Uh, Brighton, what? somewhat surprisingly. Well, they've got Shane Duffy, who's a well, gigantic you know. heading Irishman. So,
2: um, Tottenham, and mm. the top number is actually Liverpool.
1: Hmm. hmm. Isn't that interesting?
2: But you know, I'm not sure exactly what who scored count in that. You know, do they count penalties? Direct free they?
1: kicks, yeah,
2: yeah. I who guess. Knows? Who knows? Is a penalty uh, a set piece? I don't know. Yes, I think it is. It's a dead ball, isn't it? Dead ball. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I don't understand the logic of the short corners. I'm sure there is one. I refuse to believe that there are intelligent coaches who, you know, are just letting players do it without a plan Emery seems like a guy who would have pretty detailed instructions on that sort of thing well but-
1: I, I remember you saying uh, earlier in the season that you had watched at some point that when we get a corner uh, there's sort of a little bit of a merry-go-round signal. on the bench yeah. and, uh, and it's uh, Juan Carlos Carcedo who gives the signal down the line the bat mm. signal goes up and it's like uh, you know I don't know what kind of routines they're practicing I mean if it is You know, a routine which ends us, uh, sees us kicking the ball back to our own centre circle. It's fucking well drilled.
2: It's the dribble back into your own half and give it to the keeper. They've
1: got it down to perfection at this point.
2: Absolutely foolproof. Yeah. Um, Anyhow, I mean, to be fair, like, you know, that's the sort of interesting thing about the game, isn't it? You know, we did dominate, we created 22 chances, but it's funny, the goals we scored were an own goal and two set pieces. Mm hmm. Um, We could have had others. To be fair, you know, I mean, Aubameyang in the second half is one that stands out. He sort of went through and put it just wide.
1: Ozil missed a good chance. Yeah, he did
2: actually. Yeah, and uh, Aubameyang came pretty close with Mm. a couple couple of efforts. efforts. Yeah, Yeah. Shaka as well had a blaster, didn't he? You know, really. Yeah, that was a really good hit. Mm. Wow, there was some power in that. Uh, But I think you know the fact that we got that early goal. It just sort of settled the nerves a bit, didn't it? Uh, At least until they had an effort cleared off the line. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, and look, we're we're through. And I was looking at the teams that we've got to play in this competition this season, and we should be going far. We should be going really far. I mean, and given the problems Chelsea are having, you know... I think we should be really one of the real, 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 real favourites to win this. I don't know who are the favourites, but we've got to be close.
1: Yeah, who else? I mean, who's left in it now at this point? Inter Milan. Inter Milan. Okay, so I don't know if
2: they're good or not.
1: Well, that obviously means that that Perisic is going to score.
2: Sure, that's a guarantee. Uh, Um, Sevilla. Are they Sevilla? Yeah, they. Napoli. Hmm. I think. Would be pretty dangerous. Ospina,
1: Ospina, Ospina.
2: Wheel him out. Uh, Valencia. Mm. Uh,
1: Disgustingly sweet energy drink. They're
2: in it. Ah, yeah, they are in it. They are in it. Um, We won't say their name because they don't sponsor the podcast, obviously. Uh, Um, Yeah. Chelsea. But I mean, you know, even so... It's not exactly well, you know the what Champions though? League quarterfinals against Barcelona and Bayern Munich. No, it's happened, not, but at
1: it? least it'd be fucking interesting to play a good team or, you know, on paper a good team. There's a lot of teams in there, aren't there, that have sort of fallen away from glory a little bit. You know, teams that have been in the the Champions League for many years, you know, Chelsea, Napoli, Arsenal, Valencia, uh, Inter Milan, you know, there's a lot of teams uh, in there who are, their glory has faded somewhat, but reputationally, they still have a very big name. So, you know, I I can see on one hand, you know, the, the attraction of playing somebody like, I don't fucking know, Genk, or whatever uh, and having a really easy run through uh, you know Krasnodar or whoever else you know all the way through to the final that would be kind of handy from a from a, an achievement point of view but fuck me it would be really boring because the Europa League is absolute trash I'm sorry it is <laughs> it's just fucking terrible until it's you it's something start... we have
2: to endure it you know is. what I mean it
1: is it is it's something we have to endure for the moment until you know you meet a decent team along the way, and the games are a bit more exciting and there's a bit more energy and a bit more a bit more competitiveness. You know, it's a, yeah. it's an actual contest between two teams, and you know I'd rather see a bit more of that because I you know tonight was just fuck ugh.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it is kind of exhausting. But let's not forget, you know, when we got to that semi final last year, although it was a painful memory in many ways, uh, that athletic tie did feel big, um, particularly that home leg. You know, right on the eve of it, uh, and with yeah. everything that was going on with the manager, that obviously played into it as well. But it felt like a a big, big tie. Yeah. I just checked the the bookies' odds, by the way. Napoli are they make Napoli and Chelsea the joint favourites essentially, almost across the board. Then Arsenal. Um, and the other contenders behind that are mm. teams we mentioned Sevilla Inter Valencia and then sort of Bayer Leverkusen yeah. bringing up the rear but I mean yeah look at some point we're going to have to play the likes of Napoli and Chelsea Um mm. with the better teams I always kind of feel like I'd rather it be a one-off you know we said that about Atleti as well yeah Uh, if we can squeak our way through to the final well look you you know
1: know. I don't want to depress anyone or make anybody unhappy but we you know we made an absolute bollocks of that first leg last season you know when they were down to 10 men so early on and we ended up what did we end up losing that game or drawing 1-1 wasn't it yeah 1-1 Griezmann we drew 1-1 Griezmann what the fuck is going on with Griezmann's hair did you see it last night no, what's happened to his? I hair? don't know how to describe it. It's like
2: I'm going to have to look it up.
1: Yeah, it's like I don't know how, like soft, gigantic,
2: fluffy snakes of hair. Someone's described it as looking like candy floss. Yeah, is that is that accurate? I've not seen a picture yet. Yeah, um, see if you can find a picture there. It's it's a bit strange. Oh, I can't find a bloody picture. That's so frustrating. I'm desperate to see it now.
1: Hang on, I'll get a picture for you here. I know how to find things on the internet. I've been...
2: I just keep asking Jeeves, and he keeps saying no. Uh, (laughs) Fucking Jeeves. Griezmann hair.
1: No, just here, here's what...
2: Oh, wow. Actually, I don't know if that's a recent picture.
1: Yeah, here, I'll I'll get you a recent picture. One second. Uh... I know we're going off topic here, but this is actually more interesting than, than the, Europa the Europa League. Yeah, here we go. Uh, I'll send this through to you on the chat. What's it here?
2: Okay, great. The chat on the wasn't. subject of uh, yeah. Atletico Madrid, I do think, you know, I am struck by how unfortunate we were, really, in, in that respect, to to end up in the Europa League uh, last season against, you know, a really good Team Like, I know they've gone yeah. out of the Champions League, but you know, they, they beat Juventus, didn't they, uh, last night, with largely the same personnel. Uh, so I think we were a bit unfortunate. A uh, Griezmann, yeah, it's, it's quite fluffy, his hair it's now. It's a
1: big fluffy, like a weird sort of puppy thing. It's like I don't a
2: know. perm kind of thing?
1: Yeah, it's not quite perm but... It's anyway, on the way. It's on the way. So, look, we uh, we're through. That's it. That's it. We're through, <laughs> and... The draw is tomorrow
2: at midday, so... Mm. So you're saying you would quite like a big team at this point? Yeah, fuck it. Fuck it.
1: (laughs) I just can't sit through another game against that kind of opposition. I know we could get somebody who is, like, marginally better than them, and then there are teams who are way better than them, and then there's some teams who are not bad, in the grand scheme of things, so maybe we could we could graduate to a, a sort of not bad team, who would be a bit more interesting. I mean, even the Alex Kleb thing coming on and like uh, the commentators were, you know, Alex Kleb returns to Arsenal, and it was like, oh, who gives a fuck? Who cares? <laughs> like he left and yeah, went to I Barcelona, just... and like basically shot his career in the fucking arsehole and we're supposed to go congratulations, welcome back you were an underachieving player in an underachieving team it's great to see you
2: and he he did sort of uh, fuck off really at the earliest possible opportunity as soon as Barcelona forget
1: about his fucking ice cream remember him going off to, to Inter Milan and getting ice cream didn't we play somewhere in Italy and he was off... What was that ca- story?
2: I don't remember the ice cream he, betrayal.
1: He... Uh, we were playing a game in... I could have been against Inter Milan or AC Milan or something and I'm right. going to have to look it up, but he went off to get an ice cream. Alex, Alex Klebb, the ice cream man. This is a, Inter- a, a,
2: Accused of art- tapping up Alex Klebb. Yes, you're right. 2008, yeah. March 2008. Yeah. This is... This is uh, Kleb's agent So it was when we won in Milan The game uh, We won 2-0 I think Cesc Fabrias scored yeah. right? It was quite an iconic moment Him hugging Arsene Wenger on the touchline And Kleb uh, Shared a taxi With Claudio Vigorelli, An associate Of Vincenzo Morabito Some Italian agents basically Yeah uh, who was theoretically representing Inter Milan. Yeah. Yeah yeah, I, I They I, went I know.
1: they went out for an ice cream, said Mor- Morabito, whoever the f- whoever that is. He's the director of the first artist agency who represent Kleb. So it a, yeah. It's true that Kleb saw them. They went out from the uh wherever, from the hotel. It's not true they went to talk to Inter Milan. They went for an ice cream. Yes. That's what two grown men attached to two different football clubs do. Shall we get ice cream? Yes, but let's not talk about football, please. Uh, uh,
2: we should also remember this quote from Kleb's agent in May two thousand and eight. Uh, the Headline to this story in the Guardian: Kleb will jump ship to sign for Inter, says agent. And the quote was: "Alexander is preparing to make one of the most important moves of his life. He is leaving Arsenal, even though they want to offer him a new long-term contract and better conditions." And brilliantly, the agent says, only time will tell if leaving is the right decision. But there's no (laughs) way back now. (laughs) Yeah, well, there you go. Time did tell. Time really told.
1: Time told the fuck out of it. There's your hero. Uh,
2: Yeah, I I am kind of with you there. I, you know, I quite like Clever as a player. I found him pretty infuriating because he was a guy who wouldn't shoot I mean I think he is responsible for the people who just shout shoot endlessly at the Amherst Stadium now (laughs) because he he was steadfast in his refusal to do it Um, and yeah he he walked out on us and it went wrong for him I mean you know fair play to him for still playing at 37 or whatever it is but it's not been a glorious decade.
1: Yeah, I mean, before. the story was that he was, he, you know, when he saw the draw against Arsenal, he was like, I can't retire. I've got to go back and show Arsenal what I'm all about, which is like, mm-hmm. what? I think he made one pass tonight. I mean,
2: they did beat us last week, but let's not. I know, win that I know, <laughs> but like,
1: you know, it wasn't, it wasn't down to an Alexander Cleve masterclass, let's face it. And then it. they went out for ice cream to celebrate. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Look, uh, I don't know what more we can say about that game, other than you know what. I am absolutely a hundred percent, one million percent delighted about tonight. What's is that? that we do not have to see anybody go? Hmm. I wonder will Arsenal be able to master Bate? I mean, it doesn't make fucking sense because you just you don't. They're not bait Borisov. You don't say master Bate. You know, no, we did, It's so annoying.
2: Yeah. It's the there's nothing. It's I mean, just, there's one thing worse than a pun. It's a pun that doesn't really work. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's bad. And trust me, I know a few of those. And I've yeah, been yeah, responsible sure, for sure. a few of them in the past. I'll hold my hands up and say it. But, man, it's like, oh, crap. Anyway, look, I'm glad that's over. I'm glad it's all over. I'm glad we never have to talk about Bate Borisov again. Again, ever. And if we draw them next season... I'm not going to talk about them,
2: okay. At all. What we just we'll just refuse to acknowledge. Just the game. refuse
1: to acknowledge the uh, the fixture, or we can talk about you know the game. But I'm not mentioning Bate Borisov. I'm not going to say their name. I'm not mm. going to uh, you know I'll bleep them. Arsenal versus bleep. You know,
2: we've given them quite enough airtime. Let's go on to part two and let's see do that. If the, the listeners, in their wisdom, have given us some questions that we could talk about that aren't. Just about Barty Borisov.
1: I hope so. I hope so. Because I'm, I'm just tired of talking about Borisov. Right. Part two is coming up after this. This is John Grills from the Creepy Podcast. With best Christmas ever on AMC+, every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern iconic family classics like The Polar Express and The Year Without a Santa Claus, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond, and you're also getting your favorite iconic Christmas movies without having to search. AMC Plus is available on all your devices. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus. Only the good stuff.
0: This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy
1: Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnar Blog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Just to remind you that if you haven't heard it already and if you're interested in the Arsenal women's team, we've had the first Arsenal women Arscast this week put together by Tim Stillman. It's available for you in your uh, Arscast feed and we'll be doing a few more of those. uh, hopefully with a bit more regularity with some specials thrown in as well so uh, a good little development there to, uh, to do a bit more about the women's team and James I just want to bring something up here before we get into the questions. He scored tonight and he looked absolutely delighted with himself, Socrates. Mm-hmm. but did you <laughs> did you see his Instagram post? No. Uh, his Instagram post and he's taken up. a picture of himself And it says, a great movie is the closest thing to a trip. And you can see Socrates and the TV in the background where he's obviously watching a movie. Hashtag movie time. Hashtag fun. Hashtag my world. Hashtag happiness. Hashtag my life. And his face is completely at odds with every single bit of that. It's amazing.
2: He he looks, yes, absolutely, uh, well, miserable, I'd say. <laughs> just like,
1: I I just thought it was the funniest thing I've seen all week. So if you haven't uh, had a chance to look at it, go and look at uh, Socrates' Instagram, which is uh, SocratesPapa.official.
2: And a great movie is The Closest Thing to a Trip. The Closest Thing to a Trip. He's watching, I believe, Godfather 2. Uh, oh, is that what it is? in that in that screen yeah which i think does fit his his character okay yeah i can see that but yeah it wouldn't wouldn't kill him to smile he's not he's not naturally a smiler he's (laughs) socrates um i tell you what this is a question that i actually can i start with the question i have for you yeah sure okay why not cool because i haven't seen it in the questions so far do you think that um I sort of touched on Kalasinac, but Kolasinac, Torreira, Sokratis. They're the three I'm thinking of. Do you think they were rested tonight? And do you expect them to come back in at the weekend? I
1: sort of do. Like, I sort of don't expect Macedozil to start on Sunday. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I you know, I think against... Southampton, who are a very hard-working side, you know, Ramsey was on the bench, wasn't he? Or was Ramsey on the bench tonight?
2: Ramsey was on the bench,
1: unused. Yeah, yeah. so perhaps there was an element of that. You know, Gendouzi was taken off for Torreira. I mean, I I thought Gendouzi was really good. Uh, Mm. You know, I I have some concerns that maybe we're just slightly overplaying him from a pure fatigue point of view. I think they said on TV tonight, nobody has played more uh, this season under Unai Emery than Matteo Genduzi, so wow. you know they there is a need to manage him at, at nineteen years of age. I know at nineteen you can run
2: all day, but um, perhaps it's like a spider, Genduzi, like I, a I, I spider. I don't know if that's an original observation or not, but I thought that today, like his the way he covers ground and the way he's able to sort of reach his legs out and pull the ball away from opposition. Uh, players he yeah he struck me as like a big marauding midfield spider right a a hairy one as well yeah but well lots
1: of spiders are hairy a tarantula yeah he is our midfield tarantula
2: uh i i yeah i thought he was really good today yeah uh i mean you know it's obvious emery loves him and he was speaking about him in his post-match press conference but uh Yeah, I thought he he was very good. Well, look, you said you don't think Ozil will play. Kerry McCollum, Mm -hmm. who's at Kerry underscore McCollum, says, don't you think the timing of bringing Urzel back now is perfect? Unai was critical of him to be available and work during training throughout the week. With Southampton and Bournemouth coming up, it's an opportunity for Ozil to show he wants to work up to Emery's expectations.
1: Sure, I get that. But I also think, like, you know... uh Messi played 90 minutes on Thursday and hasn't played very much recently, so we don't want to overextend him. Could be the good a good out there. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's sort of where I'm thinking. And let's remember, we've got Lacazette to come back in. Uh, Ramsey is potentially in as well. You talk about Torreira maybe coming back in. Is that at the expense of Gendouzi or, or Xhaka or in a midfield three? You know, so... There's plenty for Emery to choose from, actually. So uh, if he is keeping a few players fresh, you know, for a game three days after, uh, I'm not going to say a big European game, but you know what I mean, as an important mm-hmm. European game, um, then I think there's there's perhaps some scope for change uh, for this game against Southampton. So maybe we'll keep the tarantula on the bench. And Torreira could come in alongside Jacker because that's a partnership that works and has worked uh, in the past. And you could bring Ramsey in and, you know, uh, maybe play one striker. I mean, I think the one striker might be something he sticks with.
2: Yeah, and it wouldn't being.
1: surprise me if it was Lacazette on Sunday and Aubameyang on the bench either.
2: Yeah, Killian um, McBreda asked a question saying, would you drop Aubameyang for Lacca on Sunday? I... I don't even necessarily see it as dropping, but I I might well start Lacazette. I I kind of actually missed Lacazette tonight. I sort of thought this was a game in which I thought, you know, he could have been quite useful to us just because it was such a packed defence and Aubameyang really didn't have the space, I felt, to thrive. You know, that's sort of what he re- he requires, really. Yeah. Um, he, he needs that. It's his oxygen and, and Lacazette would have been, I think, maybe better in and around the edge of the box. So I do wonder if it might be Lacazette from the start. mm on Sunday, what did you, what did you think of Özil's performance tonight? I, you know, there's been so much talk about him. I just wonder what you. I thought he was good.
1: I thought he was yeah. good. I think you know. I think he was positive. He 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 helped the team be more positive. Um, you know, I, I I don't want to say it's just because Bate were bad, but I would expect him to play to that level against players of that caliber and that opposition. Yeah.
2: Right? He's in a different league to this. Yeah,
1: players, absolutely. You know? So I would expect him to to do well in in that kind of a game. And that's not to be in any way critical. It's just that's what he should do, and that's how he should play when he's playing against a team like that who you know don't come close to him talent wise. I thought some of his movement was very good. Uh, some of the first time passing was really good, and. Uh, quite often it happened when Ginduzi fed him the ball and he would lay off a first-time pass. And, and it created momentum in our attacking play, which hasn't mm. been there because it's a different kind of movement. It, it, it It's not somebody just picking the ball up and taking a touch and another touch and looking around and the defence get a chance to get organised. It creates space and it's... it's um, you know his ability to find passes uh first time is is fantastic uh and i think it's something that our play has been missing so i thought he was good i thought he was good um i'm still not sure he's going to play on on sunday though so yeah but oh, we'll see yeah. you know i could be wrong i wasn't necessarily expecting him to start tonight so i you know Likewise, I, yeah. I was sort of wrong there so we'll we'll see uh he looked a bit tired towards the end
2: i was surprised he played the 90 minutes, actually. Yeah, maybe. Obviously, Koscielny went off with a slight injury. Maybe that was a factor. Uh,
1: Maybe, maybe. But look, let's be realistic about how much Mesut has played this season, which isn't very much. So it's not like his tank is running on empty. He might need to get a little bit match fit, you know, just that little bit more uh, sharp from a match point of view, which can only come with playing. So maybe Mm. that was the method behind that tonight. You know, so we'll we'll see. We'll see on Sunday, um, what sort of a team Emery picks. Um, here's a question from Gunnar Boy, who's at HD Tennis One. And he says, "Should we be concerned that we did not create any good goal-scoring chances in open play against a very poor side? We scored two corners and an own goal." I mean, I think uh, we I think we created a couple of good chances didn't necessarily take them but we didn't score from open play in 180 minutes against the team as bad as as
2: yeah I think we should be a, a little bit concerned you know I don't think when I saw that line up tonight and I saw us back in there and I saw the three attacking midfielders I did kind of have a, a wishful thought that you know maybe we would really blow Barté away that it would be you know five or six tonight and we'd see some really thrilling attacking football you know the kind of stuff Which, to be fair to Emery, we did see briefly in games like the the Fulham match way back when, or the the Leicester game. Um, That isn't really what happened. We still kind of ground it out, and it was a a little bit uh, one-paced at times. But, you know, I think it's unrealistic to suddenly expect a team to click into gear, you know, who've been stuttering quite as much as we have. Uh, So, uh, yeah, we remain very much a work in progress I think it is a bit of a concern you know he didn't really have he didn't have Kolasinac tonight on the field Emery and you know that uh that has been such a potent attacking weapon so he had to diversify diversify the attacking mm. play a little bit which I think is good you know I think it gave us different options and we saw different ways of fashioning chances but it we weren't going through them like a knife through butter you know no um, Which, at our best, we really ought to do.
1: Yeah, sure, but we're not at our best at the moment. We're We're far from our best. Um, So maybe we just take what we can get and move on and hope that the next one is a bit better and the next one after that is a bit better and then it's Tottenham and let's hope we smash them to Kingdom Come.
2: It's a curious thing. I saw, I think it was after Man City picked up the win they did in the Champions League... And I saw a journalist, football journalist, I think it might have been Jack Pitbrook in Independent. I can't remember. But someone led with the headline, is this the time of the season when results matter more than performances? Mm. And it's interesting, isn't it, that as Arsenal fans... That's all season. Are... <laughs> That's all season. <laughs> and actually, as we move into February, March, we're all sort of looking for performances I think as much as anything Yeah. Um, but actually historically that isn't really what happens and even we've seen this with Arsenal teams in the past and even title winning teams you know sometimes they start a season in August September October they're blowing teams away playing scintillating stuff but then you move into the spring and it becomes about the grind you know players are a bit more tired they're carrying more knocks they just have to get over the line and I think even the best teams you see that with well we ain't one of the best teams so I think as much as I would love to think that we'll sort of click into gear and be entertaining between now and May, I just don't know how likely that is.
1: I I think that's a really good point. I think that's a really good point. And, you know, I don't have any expectation that we're we're suddenly going to become, you know, the the kind of free-flowing attacking outfit we all hope we can be at some point in the future. Uh, You know, between now and May... We've just got to win a lot of football matches. I mean, it does help if you play well, of course. you know, and you've got some confidence, and momentum, and and some cohesion in in the way that you're playing. I mean, do you do you expect Unai Emery to change the formation on Sunday, or would you like to see him stick with the the four two three one for a little while because we do have these two home games.
2: I would like to see him stick with four at the back for for those two home games. I was thinking about this in the week and I was like, what do I imagine an Unai Emery ideal Arsenal team sort of looks like? You know, like if I had to sort of picture what that is, what do I think it looks like? And I think it has got four at the back in it. Um Going in front of that, it gets harder <laughs> to choose, but I actually think it has got four at the back and it has got one striker. And so I sort of think we might as well start moving in that direction because I think that that's where we're going to go. But as we've just said, I think he's going to be pragmatic and look to just try and get the, the result, the three points, the win, the qualification for the next round, game by game. And as he's done all season, he might shift the formation accordingly. But I mean, what do mm. you think? Do you think he'll stick with it? No
1: idea. <laughs> I mean he could. He could. Thank
2: you for your honesty. Yeah, look, I mean he could, but
1: he could just as easily do something else or, you know, um
2: I mean, it's difficult to know. It's yeah. genuinely difficult to know, and I don't think it makes you a bad uh, observer of Arsenal if you don't know what team and what formation Unai he, Emery's going to pick. Yeah, I stage. mean we
1: lost to Southampton, didn't we away, so Yeah, Boxing Day. Yeah, so What's he's he's going oh, to have that in his mind. A bit, I think. he will have that in his mind. You know, they're a team that have beaten us. Do I need to be a bit more cautious? So maybe, who knows? I'd like to see him stick with the back four because, you know, uh, I'm not sure adding an extra defender to the mix makes us any more defensively secure. Um, And I think we saw tonight that when you play Ozil or somebody in that role who can combine with the two wide players and connect with the 2 deeper line midfield players, then it makes us better. I mean, I'm not saying it makes us brilliant, but it makes us better than when we're looking for Alex Iwobi to do all of that more or less on his own and also feed Kolasinac on the overlap. So yeah. I think there are benefits to the formation that apply not just to using Mesut Ozil. You know, it could be Aaron Ramsey in that role as well. Um, so, I, I'd like to see that, but you know, time. I, will I do tell. think it's
2: interesting that Iwobi's best performances in recent weeks probably they came at Huddersfield, where he had uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan next to him, sort of playing behind, uh, I think, Lacazette. Mm. And then uh, tonight against, uh, with Meza Ozil you know, and Mkhitaryan there. I just think we've put such a strain on him to be the creative outlet in this team. And I think with support and when he's suddenly combining with people, you suddenly. Can appreciate, I think, the player yeah. uh, a little bit more. Uh, speaking of those who sort of are looking for opportunities to play behind the front men, Constant Stridum, who's at constant underscore eight, asks, "What's up with the Suarez situation? <laughs> Did we really pay a two million pound loan fee for ten minute cameos, or do you think the club have all but decided to sign him anyway?" And a few people asked about uh, Suarez. Really, what do you think's going on there? Anything particular? Um,
1: can I, you know, look, we haven't seen an awful lot of him.
2: No. It was his home debut tonight.
1: Yeah.
2: February 21st.
1: Yeah.
2: It's kind of been a while coming.
1: But I have to say... (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) What I have seen hasn't exactly been impressive. Now, Mm. hang on. Okay, all right. Let me present... You know, the other side of the argument. Sure. The guy has barely played all season for Barcelona. Or Arsenal. Or Arsenal. Or anyone. He's hardly played any football. So, there's that side of it. You know, where a player is not match fit, and not match sharp. And, you know, was he as bad tonight as he was when he came out against Man City? No. So maybe there's some improvement there as he's getting to know the players. As for what he's supposed to do or add to this team, I literally have no idea. No idea. I don't know what they're expecting. You know, going back to that first part of my argument where this is a guy who hasn't played any fucking football all season. Why are you bringing him in? on a loan deal in January at a time when you need somebody to give the team not necessarily an instant lift or an instant kick into gear or, you know, but like something, just something, not nothing at all. So I, I hope it's not the case that we've decided to sign him for next season because, uh, you know, look. I hope he has a nice time here. <laughs> <Hope> <laughs> sees he's a the lo- sights. Hope he's a lovely time. The London Eye, yeah. And you know, Man the two swords. The lads will, you know, have the have the crack with him on the training ground. Mustafi can I thought play he, I thought You
2: meant in the nightclub? Ken <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> takes him out. <laughs> uh,
1: but you know, I hope he has a fine time, and I hope he goes away and says, "Wow, that was that was lovely mm. at Arsenal." And then goes somewhere else and plays football for someone else and we get a footballer in. not saying he's not a footballer, but, you know, somebody... (laughs) No, no, that was wrong. I I just meant a, a, you know, a footballer. No, I mean,
2: mean, just somebody better because I think we need somebody better. It is tricky, isn't it? Because he's come in and you look at him and you think, in those positions, would I select him ahead of... Iwobi no no Mkhitaryan probably not Ozil no probably not Aaron Ramsey no probably not and that's a lot of players you know in those kind of attacking midfield roles
1: Aubameyang or Lacazette in one of the wide positions exactly I I just can't really see his way into the team what's he for? What's I mean, I, I hope, I mean, I, look, I hope I'm sitting here in a couple of weeks' time and people will say, well, yeah, that's what he was for when he scores a winner against Tottenham or, or Manchester United or something, and I will sit here and I'll eat the humble pie, all mm. the pie. I'll eat it live on this podcast. I will bake a humble pie and I'll eat it live on this podcast.
2: Okay, great. But, I, I, yeah, well, I hope it happens. I mean, but at the moment it does feel a little bit... And I use this word uh, lightly, but uh, Chelstromy, you know, Yeah. we got a guy in, in loan on loan, and he's sort of making up the numbers. And let's not forget, Kim Chelstrom did play a really significant role. He's got a very important penalty. Um, in one particular game. And maybe Suarez will have that moment. Maybe there will come a time where he does step up and he does make a big contribution. Mm. But at a time in the season that we've discussed is now all about results, really. It does feel a bit like there's not going to be much opportunity to kind of take a gamble on him um, and see where he is. And I also think... There is the possibility that Unai Emery's got his heart set on him and they're just using this six months as his kind of adaptation so that he'll be good to go next season. But like you, I, at this point, we I can't kind of hope spend, that's not the case.
1: Can't spend, you know, 20 million or whatever it is, his release clause. We can't spend that on him. Not if we're as cash-strapped as we're told. no. And we've got we've got we've got other issues. <laughs> we've got we've other got issues. A lot of, you know, and hang on, let's let's remember as well that like next season you're looking at Reese Nelson and Emile Smith Rowe coming back into the squad and uh playing in the position that we would be using Suarez in, and I have to say I would much prefer whether they sink or swim to give Reese Nelson and Emile Smith Rowe the opportunities rather than go down a two- or three-season road with a player who, you know, just isn't up to it, just not not good enough. For what we want a player in that position to do, he's not good enough.
2: And also bear in mind, come the summer, we will be looking to replace Aaron Ramsey. We might be looking to replace Meza Ozil. I just don't think he's close to that bracket. Yeah,
1: it's, a, it's um, an odd move, an odd move.
2: It is an odd move. It feels almost like they were appeasing... Emery to an extent. Yeah. Look, look, we know you can't buy anyone, but here's a guy you like. Um, We'll make it up to you in the summer. Mm. Uh, Yeah, it is really strange. And just touching on the summer quickly, I was thinking about this earlier today. When you look at the amount of business we think we might have to do, uh, I was struck by the fact that as fans, I think we often overestimate how many ins and outs there actually are, or how many ins it's possible for us to do within a single window. Yeah. So although I think there are certain positions that we kind of assume, oh, well, we'll upgrade there for sure. But in reality, especially given the financial constraints, I think we're going to have to be, we're going to have to make decisions about where we can upgrade, rather than upgrade everywhere we need. uh,
1: Come here. Are you
2: saying that we might be disappointed? I'm just, I don't want to sound like Mr. Grumpy Pants. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I think like you hear people go, well, obviously we need a keeper, a left-back, two centre-halves, a back right-back. I mean, already that's uh, five signings. Yeah, And it's like, well, we, I doubt we'll make all those.
1: Yeah, and a Welbeck replacement and maybe an Ozil you need a replacement. a Welbeck
2: replacement. You might yeah. need a, an Aaron Ramsey replacement. That's not all going to happen. You know, they will cut their cloth somewhere. I'm afraid, you know, for, look, if you look at the full-back positions, it is possible, or the centre-back positions, it is possible they go, well, we can't buy... A starting left back, a starting centre half, and a backup right. It's like something will mm. give. Yeah, I agree. And it'll be fascinating to see where that is. Team
1: next season. In goal, Mohamed El Neni. Right back, <laughs> Mohamed El Neni. Yeah. Centre half, <laughs> Mohamed El Neni. Um, That's half
2: Mustafi. (laughs) He'll he'll still be here. Uh,
1: Okay, let's do a couple of quick ones before we go. Um, Disco Dan. Hi, guys. Was wondering if you read the recent Jonathan Liu piece, and if so, what you thought about it. I don't mind admitting I felt a little tear-welling as his words echoed how I've been feeling about Arsenal of late. Do
2: you know, I I saw this question, and I've actually... I love Jonathan Liu's writing, but I've not had a chance to read it yet, so why don't you say what you thought about it
1: i thought it was very good i thought it was really good i thought it captured a mood you know um you know some people might not feel the same way i just thought that it it really summed up the lack of the lack of vision or the lack of a the lack of us understanding what this club wants to be. You know, it says it wants to be one thing, but it behaves in a way that doesn't make that possible, right? Mm. We want to win the Champions League. We want to be in the Champions League final, says Josh Kroenke. We want to be competitive, you know, uh, but they don't behave in that way. They don't behave like owners who want to make that happen, you know? So maybe we're just at a point where, since KSE have taken over and they put Raul Yehi in charge of football, you know, it might take a little bit of time to uh, to, to get us back on track or to, to create a kind of vision that everybody can get behind. But, you know, ultimately, when you think about it, if you ask people, 100 Arsenal fans, and you ask them, do you think that Stan Kroenke cares about Arsenal winning things, what would you say the um, percentage of people who said no would be? Because I reckon it'd be like 90% and and above.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I was just thinking what I would say and my instinct was to say no. I think he probably cares a tiny amount in the fact that if Arsenal win things, it probably increases the value of his investment mm. uh, i don't think he cares from a sort of emotional perspective
1: no and, and that's what it is i mean that's what the the piece sort of touches on is that there's an emotional side to the game you know and we can all rationalize all the business side of things and everything else but you know it's just you know a feeling that you're connected to your club and a feeling that you and your club are somehow on the same sort of wavelength right mm. in terms of where where they want to go and you you want to be on that journey with them, right? Yeah. And it feels at the moment like we're just kind of standing watching a thing without yes. without being taken in by it or without being emotionally invested in it the way that we should be. I, I certainly feel like that. At the mm-hmm. moment, and it's not to say I don't care about Arsenal, of course I do, and you know, it's such a huge part of my life and everything else, but it is a weird time. There's this flatness to what's going on, and I, you know, I can't necessarily put my finger on it. Um, Maybe it's the end of one era and the start of a new era and all that kind of stuff. But I do think in many ways it is linked to the ownership of the club and the lack of communication from the club itself. I think the club could do an awful lot better in terms of communicating with fans than, you know, they're brilliant. Uh, The website is brilliant and they do fantastic content and the social media is great. And, you know, the engagement and the videos are fun and all that kind of stuff. But there's more to it. There's a bit more heft to what we should be connecting with, you know. And it's not there. It's not quite there. So, but I recommend you read that piece.
2: I will do certainly. Yeah, I mean he's he's a a very good writer, and I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because what we're complaining about a lot of the time is results. You know, you look at fans; they're unhappy about results. But I think supporters. Um, in certain circumstances, are prepared to not accept bad results, but I think there are bigger things at play. I mean, bear in mind, yeah, you know, we support a club that competes for major honours, you know, on a fairly regular basis, but you know, there is thousands, millions of football supporters out there who whose teams don't, but because they feel attached and complicit in that team's story and where they're going, it's still a sort of interesting energizing mm. journey. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And su- success isn't doesn't have to be the end goal of that. If you if if as a football club, this is a slightly wanky thing to say, but you sort of tell the right story. Yeah. But Arsenal sort of don't really do that at
1: no, the moment. No. No, I agree. And it's not necessarily about success. It's about it's about feeling that you're at least doing everything you can to to get success you know i've always said that if you know if we try our best as a football club and and, uh, and and try and be competitive and we don't get there it can be frustrating but it's you know it's something you can live with much more easily when you uh, compare it to a feeling that your club is not doing what it can or as much as it should based Mm. on the resources that it has and the the potential that it has. I think that's where it becomes very frustrating. I did watch that Sunderland documentary, by the way. Holy shit. Oh, did you? Yeah. Wow. Their chief executive, there was a real whiff of uh, Gazetas off the chief executive, wasn't there?
2: I agree. Yeah. Mm. Not just the hairstyle. There was uh, yeah, a a strong whiff of Gazetas, but I mean, that it's kind of a fascinating insight. If you haven't seen it, it's on uh, Netflix and it's worth checking out uh, into like how a club can kind of crumble really from the inside. And th- and that is a club that really had did. And, and, and I think part of the point of the documentary is talking about what a special and important place that club holds in that city. Yes. You know, it's huge. It is their church. Absolutely. And And yet, it's kind of, through mismanagement, it it kind of falls by the wayside.
1: Mismanagement and uh, and bad ownership.
2: Yeah, bad ownership is a massive
1: factor in it. Ding, 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 ding. But, yeah... There you go. What was I going to say? There was something else I was going to mention there, but I've completely forgotten what it was. Uh, so I'm going to give you two quick ones. We'll do two quick ones to finish. Go on, then. Uh, the first one comes from Maurizio Gatti, who's at Mau Gatti. says, If you could have kept one of the following ex-Arsenal players in the squad, which one do you think would improve us more in the current season with their current age and form? Chesney, Ganabri, right. Fabregas, Sanchez, Gabriel Paulista.
2: <laughs> That's quite a good one. Um, mm, I think... Oh, Sanchez. Well, not Sanchez, given the way he's played at United. I think not Fabregas, as much as I love him. I think he's, his time at the top's been done. Uh, Gnabry, I think, would be really useful. He's the kind of player we don't have. He's a, a dribbler. I saw him play well against Liverpool the other night. But for me, it's between the other two. I think I'm actually going to go for Chesney. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. I'm just, yeah, I, I'm just not quite on the Leno train. I, I think he's done well, but I think we need a better quality of goalkeeper. And I like Gabriel, but I think oh. he's another player who I think there's a bit of revisionism about. You know, he he. I'm just it trying to imagine
1: Gabriel in, in this current defence. I think it, would, it,
2: wouldn't, it wouldn't be yeah. great. It wouldn't be great. I, basically, I saw a picture of him on social media the other day playing for Valencia and he'd like cut his head and there was blood everywhere. And everyone was saying, I can't believe we let this guy go. And the Brazilian like, Terry Butcher. Yeah, I was like, that's one picture. I mean, I'm sure he's doing all right for them, but he's playing in Spain and it's a different game, mm. and different coaches, different system. I've seen Gabriel at Arsenal and... I'm not sure it was the answer.
1: Right. I mean, out of all of them, in terms of uh, long term, I definitely take Chesney back, for sure. But this season, when you look at the squad, I'm not sure goalkeeper has really been our issue.
2: No. You know, that's so fair.
1: I I think I go with Ganavri. I think I go with Ganavri.
2: That's a good shout. I mean, long term, that would be pretty good too. You know, he's still a young player. Um, I, 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 do you have. I know this isn't the question, but. Ha- do you feel recrimination sort of with the club about how that played out or are you like well the player wanted to go what could they do
1: Yeah I think it was probably something we a situation we should have managed better you know when so you The think, loan to
2: West Brom was pretty The loan disastrous. to West
1: Brom was bad and you know we if we really wanted to keep him we could have given him a deal before he went away to the Olympics uh, and we didn't um you know so we 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 backed ourselves into a corner once again um, with a player uh, who I think wanted to stay, and you know, he's not he was not like um, Wenger didn't rate him. You know, Wenger oh, yeah. had him in the team really early, and then he had that bad knee injury, and he was out for a long time. Yeah, out for a year. You know, so you can understand the club being maybe a little bit cautious, but. Particularly with some of the other players that we had around at that stage, who were injured also, and maybe there would have been a bit of like, oh, another deal for another injured player, you know, blah blah blah. But you know, he is kind of one that got away a bit, isn't he? At this point, for sure. For sure. At this point, okay. Um, did you have any more? I've got one more, unless Go you on. have one. No, I don't have one. Okay. Uh, would you rather ah. play up front for Arsenal or? Playing goal for Tottenham in a North yeah. London derby.
2: Definitely up front for Arsenal. Yeah, I, I I don't know why that's a dilemma.
1: Well, I mean, I think the, the thinking is that you could, you could be a sleeper agent, the man on the inside. Oh. You know what I mean? You could be the sleeper agent, and when Not it comes to this facing Arsenal, Arsenal, Arsenal though, they'd,
2: they'd have to create chances. They'd have to Come shoot. On. Yeah, they'd have to shoot. <laughs> Uh, now I'd love to play up for proposal. that's everyone's dream right yeah uh, exactly exactly I mean you know I wouldn't be very good but you know it'd be fun mm. yeah um, and you know if there was a penalty I'd insist on ta- I'd cry unless they let me took it, take it basically. really I'd cry until they let me take it
1: that would be amazing I'd love to see that
2: yeah just pleading on my knees
1: yeah I've seen pleading you take a penalty
2: them. yeah
1: it's it's industrial
2: that's, the, that's all I've got. It's
1: that's effective. Got. It's effective, though. K-
2: kick it hard.
1: Kick it hard and low and into the corner, and it works, yeah.
2: That's, I mean, you know, but the pressure of a North London derby, that might all come apart, you know. You reckon you could fold? I could fold. 60,000
1: people in the Emirates. A hush mm. comes over the stadium. It's McNicholas. Is he going to bottle it? <laughs> Is he going to bottle it? No, he's not. He's going to charge up and fucking toe bog it straight into the bottom corner.
2: Beyond, wow, what a moment! Beyond be Andrew Mangadin goal, who steps aside, <laughs> just <laughs> casually steps aside. Yeah. Paul Robinson asks, "Slow down." Yeah. I, I, I would definitely be booked for my celebration. There's no doubt about that.
1: Yeah, the the, I have the, the lads I play five aside often take the piss out of me for my goalkeeping because you know. I can look a little laissez-faire at times when it's my turn and goal.
2: It's hard to motivate yourself, isn't it? That's the thing. It's just a rest.
1: You're not in there to stop anything. You're just there for a bit of a rest until it's time to go back out again.
2: When I play fives, whenever I go and goal it all comes apart for my team. And I like to believe it's because I'm sort of the defensive linchpin. What it actually is, I suspect, is that I'm just so terrible in goal. <laughs> I'm so terrible. Like I, every save I make is sort of with my feet, whatever the height. If it's going in the top corner, I'm sort of yeah, going for foot. it with a foot. Oh, my god! Or a head. Yeah. I just, it doesn't, my brain doesn't switch into goalkeeping mode it's terrible
1: yeah I quite like playing in goal I played uh, 11 aside in goal a little bit for, for my team um, when we when we didn't have a goalkeeper I would often go in and play and it's quite fun it's quite fun being in goal yeah you do get to see everything but then I fucked up my shoulder one day making a really good save as well. That was quite annoying. At least you went out on a high. Exactly,
2: exactly. Just as we're doing now. Much like this podcast. (laughs) Absolutely right. Because it's the last one, guys. (laughs) It's the last (laughs) Ask Cast Extra.
1: Until Monday.
2: Until Monday,
1: Monday. very good. Until Monday, when we talk about Southampton and whatever happens in that particular game. So please do join us for that. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Uh, Hopefully Arsenal can do the business. And uh, we'll talk to you then.
2: Bye-bye.